Hey y'all, welcome to the Marty Smith's American Podcast. This is volume 62, and once again, I've recruited my running mate, brother-in-arms, Ryan McGee. Hello, sir. Hey, man. It ain't broke, so we ain't gonna try to fix it. It seemed like you guys really enjoyed last week's episode where he and I just hung out and talked life, which is what we do on Marty and McGee, and so we're gonna do the same thing again. And one thing that Ryan and I discussed at length that really moved us both was what happened in Anaheim, California on the evening of July 12th when the Angels, in a game against the Mariners, had an absolutely remarkable evening. It was an evening where they were honoring their fallen teammate, Tyler Skaggs, former pitcher for the Angels who tragically and suddenly died in his hotel room. And they were honoring him on Tyler Skaggs' night. Every single Angels player wore Skaggs' number, which was 45. And the way that that game unfolded is a movie. And, Ryan, I'll let you walk everyone through here all of those details because the numerology involved in what happened is honestly the stuff of Hollywood. Yeah, and it's and it just speaks to... When moments are just bigger than us, than the people involved in the moments, and it just you know, so, you know, first of all, uh, Tyler Skaggs, who grew up right there in Southern California, um, and you know, was an LA guy, and his mother throws out the first pitch. I mean, just weeping while she did it, and threw a perfect strike. Uh, the first time Mike Trout came to the plate wearing. Uh, Tyler Skaggs, number 45, as was everyone else on the team. And, and as Mike Trout and his teammates had in the All-Star game just a couple nights earlier, uh, first at bat, hit a home run. Um, the game ends, and Mike Trout realizes that they scored seven runs in the first inning, finished the game with 13 runs, and Tyler Skaggs' birthday is 7-13, July 13th, the very next day. Um of course, after the game, there was the great image of all the 45 jerseys the team was wearing out on the on the uh, on the mound. Uh, our buddy uh, Arash Marchese, we used to work with him uh, at ESPN, and now he's with the LA Times. And he threw out there the, the stat that the last time a combined no hitter was thrown, which is what the Angels pitching staff did. The last time a combined no hitter was thrown in the state of California was on July 13th, 1991, the day Tyler Skaggs was born. That is just. It's just beyond comprehension. Yeah. And it's it's this latest example that sport offers such a unique vehicle for healing. And I know given the context of the fact that, that Skaggs was an athlete, an elite athlete, a competitor that was so obviously revered by his teammates in the Angels organization and by – the administration, management of the Angels organization, hearing them describe what he meant to them. Certainly Mike Trout has been the voice of that for the organization. And everything that I've read about Skaggs just just shows you. I never met him. I never got to see him perform in person. But it's obvious based on everything that I've read and that we've seen his teammates say and his manager say. He was so beloved because he was an everyman. He was had a, had a quick wit and a dry wit about him. 
according to what I've read about him that his teammates have stated in these various tributes. And to see Trout on the evening of July 12th be completely at a lack for words about what had just happened, but moved so emotionally about what had just happened. It's the latest example of how sport is such a unique vehicle to carry emotions that are indescribable and that you cannot corral. And when someone dies tragically, like Skaggs did, at such a young age, 27 years old, and it's it's one of those examples of the promise of hope lost. It's so tragic. And when it's someone of that level of prominence that so many fans, especially in such a massive market as Los Angeles, feel like they know him because they champion him as a competitor every fifth day. Brother, there are just moments that are bigger than you can explain. And um, and that that entire night in Anaheim was one of those moments. We were discussing last week on the podcast about Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s victory at Daytona in 2001. And that is such an applicable moment because of the overwhelming sense of healing and perspective that came with that moment of triumph for Dale Jr. It gave license for everyone to be happy again. And what happened in Anaheim on the evening of July 12th gives all of those teammates, gives Tyler's family, gives the Angels Union, the Angels Nation, the opportunity to feel happy because it's not only a tribute to Tyler, but it's divine. And you just, it's like, it's like Mike Trout was saying after the game, you just can't make it up. You can't write this stuff. And it doesn't take away their hurt. It doesn't extract the pain of the loss. But in such a unique way, it, it, it makes you feel close to him. It allowed them to celebrate his life almost instead of kind of mourning him. Yeah, 100%. see the joyous side of it. Yeah. And right, and it allows you to feel that spiritual proximity. And spiritual proximity when you can't physically hold someone anymore is such a beautiful thing. And I'm thrilled for them that they had that opportunity to feel that. Uh, you know, we were talking on the Marty McGee program on Saturday about those moments, like when Dale Jr. won that race. And I kind of brought up one of the most indelible moments that I can remember as a sporting fan and as an American, a damn proud American, was when President George W. Bush, back in 2001, threw that first pitch during the World Series at Yankee Stadium. And there's all of the the great lore that surrounds that with Derek Jeter ribbing the president before he went out, you know, don't bounce it. And how President Bush went out there and with the entire globe watching and certainly the entire country watching just threw an absolute laser beam right down the middle from the rubber. You go, okay. We ain't going anywhere. And I don't know why, McGee, I don't know why that that act 
why that gesture made Americans feel like we ain't going nowhere. Our pride is intact. Our resolve is intact. Our passion is intact. Our unity is intact. But it does. It just does. All you want is you want permission to smile again. You just you want permission to laugh. And it's okay. You know, and 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 you're going you are going to be okay. And that's what moments like what happened in Anaheim and and like what you're talking about. It's just it's you just need something to happen. I mean, Dale Jr. at Daytona, you, you need something to happen or, or, or someone to do something to let you know. But it, you, you, it's okay to smile again. It's okay. Sport. Even for a fleeting moment at a ball game, if you were able to just release your emotions and clap. I mean, you watch Tyler Skaggs' mother when she throws out that pitch. Which was a strike, by uh, the way. It was a yep. strike. And, and she's sobbing while she does it. But then when it's over with and she receives the hugs from the, from the angels, she smiles. And it's just, it's okay to, to be happy and to, you, Travis, you used the word. It's okay for it to be a celebration, to be Sports a tribute and to a person you lost. Sports and music create that where very few, I can't think of a, maybe church. You know, I, I guess church is in there. Sports, music, and spirituality. Sports, music, and faith yeah. create these communities and these gatherings that allow us to all pull in the same direction at the same time and feel a very similar brand of emotion. And we're you're you're, you're experiencing that together. And you know, I think of another one. There's another one that's involved that, that that I'm reminded of right now because I was just in New Orleans when Steve Gleason blocked that punt. Right. When Steve Gleason blocked that punt against the Atlanta Falcons, and in the Superdome right after Katrina, and the people of New Orleans had gone through hell on earth, and still were. They were in the middle of hell on earth. And when Steve Gleason blocked that punt, it was a rebirth. It was a rebirth for New Orleans. Sport did that. Yep. That stage did that. And that man gave them license in the middle of hell to stand up and release that pain for a moment. And I just don't know very many avenues that allow you to do that. With such unbridled fervor, it's beautiful. Well, I go back to Virginia Tech after the shooting. I remember Mike Trico on the call. It, it, when the team came out, it was like, okay, some normalcy was given back to Blacksburg. Yeah, yeah, that's very that's uh, that's really close to home for me. Well, quite literally, it's close to home for me. But when you have tragedies like that, that was at the time the largest shooting massacre in the history of this country and it's 15 minutes away from the front door that in which you grew up and it's on the same land where some of your sweetest memories are it's a removal of innocence that is impossible to describe and i can tell you that people in that region when I mean, look, in my hometown, the greatest employer in my county is Virginia Tech. 
people live in Giles because it's beautiful. They go over the mountain to work at Virginia Tech. And when that happened, the shock, the utter shock that that permeated everyone in the Virginia Tech community was just beyond our ability to rationalize. It was an irrational, cowardice act. And its ripples are still felt even now. And that team, that team was such a healing agent. It's uh, it's hard to describe how sport does that, man. Well, I, I wrote a, a story on the, um, it was on the 10th anniversary of 9-11. And it was actually the next week. And I wrote a story about the first NASCAR uh, Cup Series race after 9-11. And it really was the first, like, major sporting event. At that time, it was the largest assemblage of people in the United States. It was 10 days after 9-11. And this is at Dover in 2001, so there's 120,000 people there. And I, and I wrote about that that day, and, and Dale Jr. won that race too, by the way, same year. He, he won in July uh, at Daytona to let us all know it's going to be okay about the death of his father. And then he won the first race back at, uh, at nine, after 9-11 at Dover. But it was interesting going back and having experienced that race. There were just so many things about it that I didn't realize at the time. And talking to uh, Dennis McGlynn, who was president of the track at the time, and talking to the people at Dover Air Force Base, which is where all of the remains of the fallen from 9-11 were being brought to the National Military Mortuary there at the Dover Air Force Base. And so the planes flying over the racetrack that day were delivering the remains of those who were killed at 9-11 still. And, uh, but that was the first major event where the new security measures were in place. That was the first major event where they handed out American flags. That was the first major event where, I mean, we joke about him, but Lee Greenwood showed up. And... That day was emboldening. It was. It just was the, the, the feeling that day was, and, and that's where Ken Schrader rolled out one of the prettiest race cars in the history of motorsports, that American flag 36 car, that M&M's. With no sponsor yeah, on it. M&M's, right? M&M's said, this is what we're doing. And the M&M's headquarters, by the way, uh, right near New York City, were just covered in the smoke from 9-11 for a week, um, rolling in from, from Manhattan. And so... The emotions tied into that day, um, it just lets you, again, it lets you know that this fixes nothing, but it lets us know it's going to be okay. There's an opportunity for primal release that sport and music offer. Uh, it's just so unique. And I just am, I'm, I'm very sad for, uh, the Angels and their organization and for the Skaggs family because, uh, from everything that I've read about Tyler, I think he would have been a dude we enjoyed hanging out with. And uh, I, I just, it's unspeakable what they're going through. But I'm glad they had at least a, a brief moment on the evening of July 12th of, of some healing. Um, and uh, as we're apt to do on Marty and McGee, we tend to make uh, really awkward, difficult transitions. <laughs> and uh it's time to do one of those now uh before we move on to some lighter topics i want you guys to know that hiring used to be hard mcgee it used to be 
not hard anymore. Not anymore. Used to be, you know, multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, confusing review processes. But today, hiring's easy. All you have to do is go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Marty. Just one place. Only have to go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Marty. And when you do that, ZipRecruiter sends your job to more than 100. 100 of the web's leading job boards. They don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes every single one, spotlights the top candidates, and that way you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective, in fact, that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter, they have a quality candidate through that site in the very first day. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That is $0.00 at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Marty. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash M-A-R-T-Y. ZipRecruiter.com slash Marty. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. And we have, uh, so McGee and I are going to be in Birmingham, Alabama all week. And we're going to hang out with the Southeastern Conference coaches, a few players this time around. That'd be cool. And last year, we had the great opportunity to sit down all 14 SEC coaches, and we didn't really know what we were doing. Travis was there with us helping coordinate everything. We had no idea what it would be. But we were ultimately floored with how fun it was, how engaging and, and funny all those guys were, because we didn't really dive into X's and O's. We we more talked about life, and everybody from from Coach Saban to Malzahn to our boy Barry Odom up at Missouri, we just had so much fun, and we're thrilled to get to do that again. I cannot wait. We do still need a question of the year, though. Yeah, and uh, and I you know I, I did um, our friends at ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. I was, uh, hit did hit with those guys last Friday, and the question was, um, well, what's the question going to be this year? Biscuits, uh, the art this year's version of biscuits or cornbread. And I was like, you know what? I think what Marty and I'll probably do is we'll get together in Birmingham on Sunday night, and I'd love to tell you that there's some master formula for what we're going to do, but the reality is we're probably going to let the Colbeers uh, determine what the question is going to be. Yeah, we'll dictate um, it based on uh, Colbert. You guys, yeah. set, you guys set the bar really high after last year. Oh no, it, you can't it replicate. Vi- I mean, it went insane. Right. Other shows are talking. About, it went on for like a month afterward. Yeah, other you shows stole like, it. I think is what you're trying to say. Yes, yeah. they, they, they steal Cooter. They steal the. T- yeah. All right. It's like your first record album being a humongous. Yeah, you guys went hit. platinum. Yeah. It's one thing to to write a great record once. It's a whole other challenge to do it again. Right. And. We are charged with finding that question again. I mean, you had coaches and crying last easy. year too. Like, there's a lot of pressure this year. Yeah, I like. I still like our chances of getting a coach to cry better than I do replicating the the uh, lightning in a bottle that was um, that was biscuits versus cornbread. We'll figure it out. Yeah. I mean, it's going to hit us, and we're going to be just fine. We have until eleven forty Central Time <laughs> Monday morning. That's right. To figure that out. And we will. And, yeah. and it'll be all good. Yeah. Uh, you know what else? So we, we discussed this briefly, uh, and I, I think I need to bring it up on the podcast. I flew into Philadelphia the other night, and 
one of the uh, flight attendants from another flight was trying to get home, and there was weather ever, all over Philly, and flights were canceled and delayed, and people were all to hell about it. So one of the flight attendants from another flight jumped on our flight. You know, that happens often, so they could try to get home. Right. And he was sitting in the jump seat, and as the plane opened, uh, I was uh, on the very first seat in the plane. And the, the door opens, and he's very first off. And the guy that was sitting beside me across the aisle, uh, he and I got off the plane after this, this flight attendant. And we sat there and watched that flight attendant jog to the walkway in the concourse, sit his suitcase on the ground, and fire it up, fire it up like a motorcycle. He and- rode his suitcase like a dirt bike through the terminal at the Philly airport. Come on now. I'm serious. It was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And I kind of looked at the guy who was sitting across the aisle from me. And he looked at me and we looked at each other. And we looked back at each other. We were like, why don't I have that? Right. And this this thing does not creep. Batman? Yeah, that was unbelievable. It did not creep through the terminal. This thing went, boy. I mean, he was probably going five miles an hour. Right. Wow. We need to get you guys a sponsorship with one of these companies. We do, man. We five, and five miles an hour in the airport, that's the difference between uh, making the flight and not. So I was reading, like, I don't know if it's the air wheel or another one, but they go at, like, it can go even faster, like, eight, ten miles an hour. There you go. He was gone, man. I mean, it was like, and it had it had handles, and he he, he gassed it up like a dirt bike. Well, there, I couldn't now, believe what I was looking at. There is a point where I don't need them to go too fast. Because I don't need them to take my legs out from underneath me over by gate 11C and put me in hospital. So I'm sitting here looking at the website for the moto bag. All right. This is the moto bag. And there is a attractive lady and she's got her feet up on the pegs and right. she's sitting on her suitcase. Okay. And she's got the suitcase gassed up. Oh, she yeah. has a big smile on her face. You can see she's in the airport terminal. Yeah. And she's just cruising through the yeah. airport, man. They need man. To put a cup holder on the handles. They do. That's a very good point. If I, I, try, could... I tell you this, though, in all seriousness, I'm a cup holder guy. But if, I am, uh, if I'm trying to make it from gate, like, like if, you're, if I'm in Arizona, which is an airport that looks like a, a hair comb, like you got to get from this wing all the way down to the other wing, uh, when I'm scooting along there, I'm probably not going to be taking time for a drink. I need this to have both has... hands on the wheel. Yeah, oh, yeah, you're getting there. This thing has, like, uh, inline skates yeah. wheels on it. Okay. All right, inline skate wheels on it. There is a, a pair of USB ports to charge your iPhone as you ride. Yeah. What else is going on on top of this thing? Yeah, there's an on-off button. I mean, i got to get one of these, man. No, I, I mean, it's, you, um, you it's, guys have been to NASCAR events, though. It's very similar to... Well, no, it's not because this is not redneck. This is not redneck engineering. Yeah, that is redneck engineering, like the dictator. But this, yeah, but this (laughs) is the dictator could not afford the moto bag. What do we call it? Moto. There's the moto bag. Moto bag. Yeah, moto bag. The air wheel. Yeah. So, so, so there's there's actual engineers somewhere, like in a think tank with computers building these things. The motorized coolers. Now there there was a stretch. 
at the racetrack where there, do you remember that? There was, Marty, there was a motorized coo, uh, uh, cooler fail. I almost said motorized cooler. You almost said cooter. cooter. Yeah, There's motorized cooters, thing. too. Yeah, that's a different thing. There's a motorized, uh, there was a kind of a motorized cooler phase. That I remember Carl Edwards one time, almost, again, almost taking my my ankles out from underneath me, going past me on a motorized cooler that I think he just gotten from some fan. But it had, like, oh. his stickers all over it. Guess how much the moto bag costs, bro? How much? Take a get, take a stab. Uh, $500. Fifteen hundred dollars. Yeah, $1,500. I was thinking about buying you one, but I'm not buying you that. $1,500, man. You get it. You can get a, a pretty nice motorcycle used. And for Travis is correct. This bag can travel up to six miles on a single charge at eight miles per hour. Oh, I, dude, I could take that thing to the store. I could ride the moto bag to the Harris Teeter. Well, I feel like you. Could have and I could it pack too. it full of beer and ride home. You could have used it too with the airport with your foot. Like that'd been perfect no for doubt. you to roll around. That's one reason I was so envious. I here I am gimping through the airport with stitches in the top of my foot. Wow! And this dude plops down on his suitcase and fires it up. Gone. Was, and he was gone. Was there room man. for you to get on the back and hold on? Or I asked him for a lift, but he kept on going. He must have had his earbuds in. <laughs> his ear pods. <laughs> <laughs> the ear pods. Ask Laney to get you that for uh, like your anniversary or your birthday or something or Christmas. No, I don't want her to pay all that money. No way. I like my, my. I use a duffel bag. I'm a duffel bag guy. I do not check baggage. I will not check baggage. I went to China for eight days in a duffel bag. What's the most it will take? You, for you? both sound very impressed by that. I am. No, but what's I'm the totally most that it'll take for you to check a bag then? Um, I, I, if, 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 at all costs. Like, think about the math. I started doing the math on checking bags at the airport. All right. Forget, and, and, and I'm somebody who, because I fly so often, I don't have to pay for my, like I get three bags free or whatever that number yeah, is. Yeah, me too. So, so remove the monetary. Now, if I had to pay for it, it'd be a whole other level right. of disdain. Yeah, right. Well, that feels like one of those, if you it's checked. It's robbery. Yeah. If you checked that, well, number one, if you checked it, it defeats the purpose. Right. If you, if you check it, I don't check a bag anyway. So if you check it, I, dude, I will cram a week's worth of clothes into the tiniest bag just to not have to check it. It's but unique I, too yeah. because we have to wear suits, right? And but if you ch- if you check it, it defeats the purpose because the whole point is getting from gate to gate. So here's my math. I started thinking about it as much as we travel, and we travel a lot. Yeah, that is not a complaint. That is simply a fact. And I started thinking, all right, at Charlotte Airport where McGee and I live, right. And I would say at most airports that are international size airports. Yes. Boston, New York, Charlotte, Dallas, Atlanta, LA. Right. Except Phoenix. Right. Those level of airports probably have a relatively similar baggage weight time. Yes. Okay. So if you, if you check a bag, you get there and you, you give them your bag. And, again, we've removed money. You give them your bag. You check that bag. You go to your destination. You get to your destination. And let's just call it 45 minutes. Okay? Let's just call it 45 minutes. Okay. Let's say you wait 45 minutes for your bag. That's 45 minutes on that side. Right. All right? And then you have that 45 minutes when you get home as well. 
That's 90 minutes of your life. Yes. When you multiply that, and that's for one trip. Right. During football season, typically McGee and I are taking two to three trips a week. A week. So you multiply that 90 minutes. Yeah. Times three. Yeah. That is four and a half hours yeah. of your week. You're going to make me cry. Then you multiply that four and a half hours by four. Right. Right? Which is your month. Okay? Four and a half times four is 16 and eight. Well, 24, Travis? I'm not a math guy. Let's just <laughs> random numbers. Let's Travis, call. So all these years, Travis is just a catch-all. He's a calculator. Yeah, Travis has to fix He's our Google. fix our screw-ups. Yeah. At least we're transparent no, I'm about the, our I'm stupidity. leaving this one in. Yeah. At least we're transparent about our stupidity. Right, yeah, I'm just absolutely. going to take simple numbers, no, and let's call it 20 hours a month. Okay. Let's call it 20 hours a month. Multiply a 20 times 12, right. fellas. Right. It's right. it's nauseating yeah. Don't, yeah, to I, think I, about that. I wish that. you'd never done this because now right. my brain hurts. I started thinking about how much money, how much, uh, not money, how much time of my life I'm giving away waiting for my bag. Right. No, I That's do. why I'm willing to wrinkle my suit jacket 100%. and worry about it when I get to the destination. I'll iron in the room yep. before I do all Last that. year at SEC Media Days, I was there from Sunday to Friday. Didn't check the bag. No, I won't do it. My, my, my rule of thumb is if I'm getting it over, if I'm getting over a week, then I'll start thinking about it. Now, if I'm traveling with my wife and daughter, like we're taking a trip in August, I'll at check the bag in because they're checking it anyway. So I, I, got, I, got, I got to wait anyway. I checked my bag for the Masters, but I also had like equipment to worry about and other things. That's also it's also different though contextually, McGee. Y'all know how I am about context. Y'all are probably so tired of hearing me say it, but contextually, when you're with your wife and daughter, that's the whole reason for not checking the bag when you're not with them. Right. It's to get that. Make sure that you ensure that you're maximizing your time with your right. family. Right. So if you're with your family, ah, it's all good. Let's go get a coffee, or or a, a meal and wait for this. You right. don't have to worry about carrying the bags around all day. Right. No. No. no and, and my wife and daughter, when we travel, uh, and y'all, y'all, I mean Erica, y'all have met Erica, and her, um, you know, hired a hair closer to God, right? So there's some product we travel with. And, and you can't take that on a plane. No, no. My wife and I are going to the islands like next week, and we're only going for a few days. But uh, but she will pack like we are, you know, going on a round the world cruise, and I will have a duffel bag. But I'll check it because I'm not going. You know, if she's if we're going, if I got to stand there and wait anyway, then we're going to wait together. Now the worst is when you don't check a bag, which I never do, and then you get on a plane and you have a coworker there. And they go, hey, do you have a car? And I'm like, yes. Because I typically do because as a reporter, I'm driving all over the place and reporting on stuff. And I'll say, yeah, I've got a car. Well, could, could you give me a ride to the hotel? Great. And then you land and you realize they oh, checked they check the, bag. the bag. Yep. And so you're hanging out. But you don't complain because you're a nice guy. But on the inside, you are um, you're hitting a punch. I used bag. to check a bag all the I know. time. That's why I quit I mean, giving you rides from the airport. And I just don't know why I did it. I don't, no. I don't have it. know what. And I didn't, and back then, what's so weird about it is, I would check a bag when I wore jeans and t-shirts to work. Well, you just thought you had to. Maybe those people that ask you for a ride will listen to this, pick up on it, and they won't do it again. Yeah, You're maybe. giving them way too much credit yeah, that they would credit. be listening That's to That's why this. I just put it out there, just point blank, yeah. like, hey, reporters, help me Well, the best out. now is when I have all the radio gear in my backpack. Now, at the Charlotte airport, I'm there so much now, they just don't even think anything of it. 
But I go through another airport, and I had this funky-looking thing, which is the magic box that we use. Oh, no, the comics radio. unit. Yeah, and they look at that thing like, "What? What is this?" Because it totally looks like any, like from any Marvel movie. This looks like the thing that they attach to the bomb, right? And so when they see it, they're just like, "What is this?" And I'm like, "This is a radio thing." Anyway, but in Charlotte, they know. In Charlotte, they're just like, "Hey, man, what's up?" Hey, Ryan. Well, and I was they, honestly, and yeah, my daughter they, laughs. They do. They, they do. No, they my daughter laughs by name. Yeah, we get to we get to the we get to security at Charlotte Airport. They're like, hey, Ryan, where are you headed? I'm like, I'm headed to LSU. I'm headed to wherever. And my daughter thinks it's the funniest thing in the world, and I think it's sad because that just makes them at the airport too much. Yeah, man, all that says is that you travel too much. I love – I'm so appreciative of upgrades. Yeah. So, so thankful and yeah. grateful when I get upgraded. But yeah. what that really says is, bro, you tra- you fly too much. Yeah, but yeah, you, you're on the road too much. Well, that's like but- I got to travel last year for the first time, and I'd get on a plane – and you could see all the other ESP people in the first class, and I'm walking all the way to the back because that used to be I'm me in NASCAR. New. When I covered NASCAR full time, you had no chance to get upgraded when you covered NASCAR because there were photographers who had been shooting the sport for 30 years and had like Piedmont Airlines miles yeah. still yeah. applicable. <laughs> right. They will take care of you, but only if you travel entirely too much. Just don't you remember the first time you were right flew? in the middle, then you don't get taken care of. And if you don't travel much at all, you don't get taken care of at all. But if you if you travel too much, they will take care of you. But do you remember your travel. first flight? Yeah, I do too. Yeah, I was. Uh, it was the it was the cornucopia of bad decisions that was the U.S. Chess Federation oh, T-shirt man. and the, well, white. the greatest photographs ever taken yep. of, of human white booty shorts. You and uh, I did have on some air. I did have on some. Uh, Nike Air Force Ones as a seventh grader or sixth grader. And, uh, daddy took me down to Atlanta to watch the St. Louis Cardinals play the Braves. And I got on the plane on one of those like things that the presidents go in, you know, those stairways. Oh, yeah. That the presidents walk up to Air right. Force One and they're doing the wave, you know? Yeah. You look like Marilyn uh, Monroe on her way to like a premiere. Yeah. And I'm doing, I'm on the, uh, I'm, I'm on that stairway and right. daddy hollered at me and I turned around, took a picture. And it is so unfortunate. It's I mean, it is the most unfortunate photograph. I had jacked up teeth. Oh, I yeah. love the photo. It's the greatest. I had a mullet. I had a rat tail, like mini truck going on. Uh, but what I remember about that flight is I got peanuts yeah. in a Piedmont Airlines bag. Oh, yeah. And the flight attendant gave me wings. Oh, gave me one of those oh, like gold pins. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I got to put that on my U.S. Chess Federation yeah. Championships, Pulaski, Virginia, yeah. 1988 T-shirt. My first flight was uh, the one and only time I've ever been to Hawaii. I was six, and my dad was working at Gardner-Webb College, go Bulldogs, the running Bulldogs. That was hometown number two. And, uh, and as part of dad's job, he had to take this group of alumni to Hawaii for some fundraiser thing and my family got to go for free only reason we could afford it because we went as the official representative you know i was like six and i think my brother was three and we got to go to the cockpit during the flight and so meet the cool. pilots Damn. and get the wings. during the flight you did yeah during the flight man that was a different era oh yeah no no that's what my, my daughter was watching airplane with me she's like wow she goes there's no way they let kids in the cockpit i go back in the day they did all the time you like gladiator movies I didn't get there that. There was a guy, I had a pilot recently, I was on a plane, uh, I mean, it was within the last couple of weeks, and I was sitting up front, and the pilot uh, 
I went up to use the restroom before the flight, and I came out of the restroom, and the pilot was like, Hey, man, what are you doing here? And it was, you know, I'm flying. You're right. flying me, right? Yeah. Like, where we? Man, that's awesome, dude. What where are you guys are you, doing? Playing cards? Come up here and come up here and take a picture with us. And I took yeah. a picture with those guys in a cockpit. Did you really? Yes. That's a big deal. That that you got to clear that through the air marshal. Yeah. Don't post that photo. Yeah. You got to clear that. No, I didn't do it. No, no, I'm saying the pilot had to like clear that through the air marshal. Hey, we're gonna bring. Uh, they didn't seem worried about it at all. No, no. Like, no, they, pilot, they they were not concerned about have me a good hijacking time. that plane. Yeah, pilots. Uh, it's a good life, pilots. You think? I, I, I don't oh, know. Oh yeah. No, no. I no, wouldn't no, want to no, do no, no, no. My, Too much no, responsibility. No. I got friends who are commercial airline pilots, and they have a good time. They have some. And some of them have too good of a time. I was sitting there. I was at Notre Dame last January or, or late December one. It was before the college football playoff. So it was probably like late December last year. I went up to Notre Dame to do a bunch of programming, a bunch of content for, for the playoff. And there was a little old like Irish bar around the corner from my hotel, right downtown South Bend. And I'm sitting at the elbow of the bar, just having cold beer. And I was actually working on the Tiger Woods chapter of Never Settle, my book that comes out very soon. I have a lot of anxiety about this. And you have a I'll book never coming forget out? it. Wow, that's awesome. What's that? You have a book coming out? I do. Out? How that's about fantastic. that? I got a book coming out. Yeah. Isn't that neat? I'm fired up. Man, you can buy it right now. You can go pre-order it if you want to. That's Amazon, Target, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Anywhere where fine books are sold. That's it. Well said. That's, that's a veteran. Somebody knows all about that. Yeah. I, uh, so I was sitting there writing that chapter on Tiger with my headphones on, you know, kind of in my own world, drinking beer. And these two guys are sitting there right beside me. Like I was at the elbow, right? And so I was on one side of the bar and they were on the, on the longer side of the bar. All right. But they're sitting right beside me. And I took my headphones off and I asked the, the bartender for another cold one. And this guy goes, Hey man, can I bother you for just a minute? And I'm like, yeah, man, what's going on? He goes, man. You're, you look like the ESP. Are you the ESPN guy? Yes, I'm the ESPN guy, man. Man, we that is so cool, man. So I talk to these guys. I, I'm always so appreciative when people ask. Yeah. So appreciative. I, I, I never get used to it. I know you're the same way. And I uh, I talk to these guys back and forth about, I forget what, what school they were fans of, but I, I figured I figured y'all are go Irish, right? I figured they were South Bend people. No, we're not go Irish. We're whatever else. They were commercial airline pilots. Oh. And they had flown into South Bend that evening and were not leaving until two, not the next morning, but the next morning. Okay. Those boys were getting tuned oh, yeah. up. No, no, I'm telling Jack. you. It's, it's, um, and most commercial pilots, like we're military, or a lot of them were military pilots. So, you know, I don't know how many, well, I know what well, you do. You know, you know, fighter pilots, you know, the Thunderbirds. And, um, my no boys, one will man. ever accuse fighter pilots of not having a good time, and uh, and as they're result, American badasses, yeah. like genuine, legit, but, real, not hyperbole, right? American badasses, and they enjoy life to the fullest. And um, and as a result, as you can imagine, um, most commercial pilots—not most, but the ones that I know, my friends and y'all—if y'all are downloading it, um, then you know I'm not. Um, you know I'm speaking the truth. They have a good time. Well, I have a really good buddy who is a commercial airline pilot. Uh, he's a guy I cycle with. His name's Adam Kolb, and he's a total stud, and he likes cold beer every now and then. Uh, yeah. Or two, six, or two. eight, or nine. 12, yes. 14. I mean, who yeah. doesn't? Yeah. America. 
Uh, all right. Well, that was a real good <laughs> Marty Smith's America podcast. May as well just call it Marty and McGee because that's what we just did. Uh, I want to say this before we get out of here this week. Uh, I just want to say thank you so much to the people who are loyal and appreciate what we do because it's so fun to get to do it. And we, like, I know, I know that Ryan feels the same way I feel and Travis feels the same way I feel. It's the most fun that you can have. And we have so much fun just hanging out together. And the fact that we make you guys feel like you're hanging out with us is the ultimate endorsement. So thank y'all for being so loyal and being so passionate about Marty Smith's America, about Marty and McGee, about uh, Marty on every on every platform, whatever the iteration of Marty and McGee is, y'all are there. So thank you for that, and uh, thank you boys for hanging out, McGee. Thanks for spending some time with us again. This is going to be a regular thing because look, it's what the people seem to want. And since you aren't a big movie guy, Marty, I'll let people know that if they are a Marvel fan. They need to check out This Week in Marvel, the official Marvel podcast that covers everything from comic books to film to TV shows and a lot more. Each week, host Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M, visits the sets of the newest Marvel TV shows, takes a deep dive into the comics, and hears directly from the people behind the massive Marvel Cinematic Universe. Catch This Week in Marvel every Friday wherever you listen to your podcast. And for our listeners, keep those reviews coming. I do check them. If you have guest ideas, go ahead and throw those out there in those reviews. Describe, the, the reviews rate, awesome. and review because it matters. Look, man, ZipRecruiter, thanks so much for your loyalty and your investment in this podcast. It it matters. Uh, and, guys, look, when you subscribe, rate, and review, every one of those subscriptions shows ZipRecruiter that their investment is a worthy one, and that helps keep this free. And we're so appreciative of them for their investment. So please do that. It matters so much to, to ESPN and to ZipRecruiter and to me. Uh, because I love doing this podcast and being able to spend this time with you guys during your runs, during your commutes, during your flights. And, uh, it's just, it's so fun. And thanks to Louise for letting us do it. Uh, thanks so much to Dan Lebetard and Mike Ryan and Stu and everybody that's, uh, that's been so integral in spearheading the Lebetard and Friends podcast network. It's so damn cool that they believe in me this way. And that they're willing and, and able to give us a platform like this. And as I say every single week, I met a guy in the Charlotte airport the other day. Uh, I was sitting there just listening to music. I was listening to my buddy Justin Moore's new album. He sent me, he sent me a few of the songs on his new album. And I was really diving into that kind of in my own world. And a guy walked over to me and, and he and I were chatting. About Clemson football, that's shocking. I know that's shocking to you guys who are listening. But he was a big Clemson fan. And we were chatting about that. And and a nice lady sat down beside me, asked me if the seat was taken. And I said, no, ma'am, please, right ahead, go right ahead. So she sat down, and her husband came over. And her husband was talking about how I'm going to go stand in this line. i got to see if we're getting on this plane or not. And uh, that gentleman, he had on a purple heart vietnam hat wow and i stood up and i thanked him and i said sir i'd like for you to take this chair please and he was like no 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 i gotta go stand in this line don't don't worry about that and i i said i, I would really like if you did and he was so appreciative of that and i asked him briefly about his service and thanked him for his service 
and he told me a little bit about what he'd experienced and it was just such a moment of humility for me because it's like man what what, it's ridiculous that we get to sit here and talk about mobile suitcases right and talk about our experiences in the world of sport and our parents and to have these kind of platforms just to be friends on a medium that people want to consume. And the reason that we have that opportunity to aspire and to be complete idiots and to have to deal with Twitter crap is because America is free. And we don't care enough about that. We don't respect enough that we can walk outside and go do whatever it is we want to do in that day. We can attack that day however we want with the vigor that we decide to attack it. And it's because of guys like that guy with those purple hearts who suffered those injuries, who saw their brothers get blown away, we have the opportunity to do whatever we want. And golly, what a blessing. And we're so appreciative. All three of us on this podcast, and I know so many of you guys listening, are so appreciative of that. So thank you to our military members active all around the world right now certainly our veterans uh if you see them you thank them because it matters to them so thank y'all and thank all of you guys for listening to the marty smith's america podcast marty and mcgee revisited what should we call it like marty marty and mcgee uh, like, cause we're like rogue now. Yeah. We've kind of gone rogue. Yeah, we kept kind of going rogue. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's like, uh. Y'all help us name yeah, it. Yeah, Marty. Rogue, has Rogue One ever been used for anything? Yeah, a movie <laughs> that Marty's never seen, but I've seen no, it many times. I did, I did, uh, have Cameron watch, Cameron and I watched The Empire Strikes Back. Oh, did you? We sure did. Well, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's good raising is what that is. Yeah, I've seen all of them myself. I've, yeah. Well, the, the original ones. I've not seen right. all the new ones like you guys have, but. Right. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed watching that. I mean, it's from 1981, right? Oh, it's right? so good. No, it's, 1983, it's maybe? one of the greatest right? movies ever made. And if you want this podcast to last another hour and a half, I can start talking about it. We'll do that next time. Okay. We'll do yeah. that next time. Maybe, maybe uh, that's So, what, y'all maybe, help maybe, us. Maybe the, 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 the Cooter Strikes Back. Cooter Strikes Back. Cooter Strikes Back. There you go. Cooter Strikes Back. Uh, the Cooter Strikes Back podcast. So, thank you all for being invested in us. We appreciate it so much. And we will try to do better next time. This is Marty Miss America. I almost said this is Marty McGee. This is Marty Smith's America. Podcast 62. Cooter strikes back. We'll try better next time. Y'all be good. Have a great week. Huh.